Off the Ball. Getting inside the game. Sponsored by Ireland's favourite car brand, Ford. Go further. In five days' time, we're heading to the Three Arena for our biggest ever roadshow. That's next Wednesday, October the 14th. It's over thanks to our friends at Heineken. We've got a pretty amazing guest list so far, including Brian Keith Wood, Felipe Contepomi, Stephen Ferris and Eddie O'Sullivan. Tonight, we're absolutely delighted to announce two-time World Cup winner, Australian rugby legend Tim Horan is going to be joining us on the night as well. And if that's not enough, we will be announcing one more special guest before next Wednesday night. The show, as you know, is completely sold out, but stay tuned um, and check us out on Twitter at Off The Ball, as well as Heineken's Twitter page for your chance to win some special VIP tickets. It's an over-18s event. Drink Heineken sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. Tim Horan, one of your favourite players as a kid? Yeah, the, fa- the number one. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I, I will literally be the most excited person that's in right. the three arena on, uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, um, I was at a dinner with him a couple of weeks ago. We kind of catch up every so often, but it probably helps our relationship that every time I'm asked the greatest ever, I mentioned Tim yeah, Horn. I'm sure um, he's delighted. Yeah, you, know, <laughs> you know, we're probably better friends as a result of that. <laughs> but um, no, he was. He was definitely, like, from a centre point of view, without a shadow of a, of a doubt, the greatest. And as a player, top three, you know, Richie, him, don't know, throw another one in there, Jonah. Right, okay. I I didn't actually realise that you held him in that high esteem. Mm, yeah. um, I think it's, to be honest with you as well, it's easier picking someone that's long retired. You know, if you're going, who's the best player? Richie McCall. But like, you, you, you're you're still playing against him for 10 years. You yeah. Know, you, can't, you can't say that. So no. <laughs> it's easier to say, I guess, a guy, a guy that you play. I think I played three times against him, but I watched him winning two World Cups and... Growing up, you know, Australia were the team and him and Little were the centre pairing. So, um, yeah, is, it was, he was kind of, it was a real honour to get my first cap against him. Is he in some ways part of the birth? And we're going to talk about centre partnerships. Obviously, it's kind of one of the themes of the show tonight. Is he at the, the birth of the modern centres in that you had the concepts from rugby league coming in, in defence and you also had a, a new way of attacking that before that, I don't know, maybe in the 60s and 70s there were players who were similarly gifted and had the same sense of responsibility but certainly as modern rugby has become the game that it is, is he kind of at the forefront of that? Yeah, I, you know, th- this whole second 5-8, you know, playmaker at, at 12, the Matt Gitto type role, yeah. um, he, he, could, he, he could mix his game up because... I remember running out for my first cap and knowing that it was a big back line. It was Gregan, okay, fair enough. But then there was Larkham, there was Tim Horan, Dan Herbert, six foot three. Yeah. And I looked at the back three and there was Joe Roth on one wing, uh, Chris Latham at full back. And then I was like, oh, Ben Tune can't be that big. And I look over, this guy's six four. Yeah. And then Tim Horan's still six foot or six one. So he was able to still truck it up if he needed to. Right. But he had all the skills. And that passed to Campo for the try in the semi final against New Zealand in Lansdowne Road kind of sticks out as vision, skill, ability to pull the trigger and the big moment. Yeah. He kind of had it all. I didn't realise he was six foot. He just looks like a small yeah. guy compared to all those other guys. But yeah, obviously yeah, no, they're well, all so like, huge. Yeah, just, I'm, I'm like 5'7". <laughs> all right, we've got Dave McIntyre who's embedded with the Irish team this week. Dave, how are you? Hi, lad. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. It's um, a booming phone line you're on there. but um, I'll take a step back here. The The camp this week has been quiet. It's been... Uh, this, I don't know. Tense, I think, is probably the words that I'm looking for here. What's your experience of that been like? Yeah, it has been pretty tense. Wednesday, in some ways, I misread the mood on Wednesday because I was talking to the lads Wednesday evening and I had sent a couple of reports back to the guys at base and I talked about how satisfied the 
camp seemed to be in particular Simon Easterby because they were able to train with all 31 players on the training pitch and that this was something that no other nation in the World Cup was able to say. It was a tribute to the medical team, a tribute to the determination of the guys to make sure that they were able to get back from these injuries. And yet when I picked up the papers the next day, it was all about how narky Simon Easterby had been and how difficult he had found speaking to the media on that particular day. And I seemed to completely misread the signals. There was talk that they, there was a 15-minute walk between the players' bedrooms and the team room, that the pitch they were training on, the Newport High School local pitch, that had been a bit of rain earlier in the week and the pitch was a little heavier than they would have liked when they were comparing that to, say, the carpet they were training on at St. George's Park, which was the exact replica of the Wembley Stadium pitch. So all in all, there was talk that cabin fever was starting to set in. Today is as tense as I've ever seen an Irish press conference. The room that we're in is, is quite small and the French media en masse had descended on Celtic Manor and we were at a different part of the resort, an older building right on the outskirts of the resort and it was the windows were closed, the sun was beating in, it was hot, there must have been 60 journalists on site, the team was being announced, speculation was flying around at the hours, late hours last night and early this morning by Jared Payne and Keith Earls and it was a cauldron today. I talked to Jamie Heesop and I described it as a cauldron. It just seemed like it was warm, it was muggy, it was close, the afternoon was almost closing in on us. And the players, they were, they, the players still seemed relaxed, but there was just this feeling that we saw this draw being made two years ago. The last two years have built up to these three days and the build up to this French game. And it's all about avoiding the All Blacks. It's all about getting a seven day turnaround lockdown as opposed to the six days, which would be the case if we're beaten this Sunday. And then the team was announced and we moved on. But I, I left Celtic Manor. I got there at midday. I left at half four and I was exhausted. And it was a very different vibe to what the Vale of Glamorgan Resort was like this morning, where I went first thing at 10.30 to the French press conference. Much bigger room, air-conditioned, in the countryside, these rolling hills. There was a lot of people walking around with their golf clubs. Um, there were seven or eight French players just strolling around, spending 30, 35, 40 minutes, in the case of Scott's betting, with different groups of the media. Philippe Saint-André was cracking one or two gags, and it just seemed a world away from what we were experiencing in Celtic Manor a few okay. hours later. Now, you can put that down to maybe that's the way things work with the French. They're always a little more relaxed about things, but they were two very different experiences today. Okay, um... Are we massively overreacting to it? <laughs> you get the sense. I think I think there's definitely I'm terrified now. <laughs> I could I definitely felt as though you know, people got an awful lot more negative after last weekend. It was as if, you know, the world was closing in on us. Yeah. That all the high hopes of the two previous games and, you know, our back to back six nations had all come crumbling down. So you're and that we were doomed. Right? Are the players getting the same sense? No, but they're 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 getting a little bit irritated by the line of questioning, I'm sure. Yeah. And it's when it you know, it's one performance and yeah, it wasn't a good performance. They still won. Um the the winning was the important aspect of it. A performance would have been nice, they didn't get it, so you have to make do. But you know, when players, I was just listening back to some some questioning, and when when there are the negative connotations to to the line of questioning, and players do get a little bit frustrated, but they know that they have to try and play it with a straight bat. Yeah, I saw, I heard Paul O'Connor on a couple of occasions saying, you know, we, we of course we know we have a big performance in us. You know, we didn't perform today, but we've got a lot to work to do. But when the journalists, you know, repeatedly come back with that line of questioning, it's it's difficult to keep your cool sometimes. Yeah. But Brian, Brian's still blaming the media there. He's had the game <laughs> as a professional for over years. I haven't crossed the path just yet. <laughs> 
Well, well, see, you see, we're there every day and we speak to two different players every day. And the narrative is that we didn't play well against the Italians. And it's very difficult to dress it up in any other way. I mean, we could ask certain questions that wouldn't necessarily be journalistically true because it, it would be a waste of everybody's time. We want, we kind of want to pick the brains and peel the onion and try and get as deep as we can. Now, the players, obviously, and it was the case in, in your time, Brian, and particularly when you were captain, you have to bat these questions away as best you can. But we'll keep asking them. I was surprised, though, at how sensitive at times the, the camp was. I mean, Simon Easterby, he took, seemed to take offence during the week to a question that was put to him, asking him to compare the mentality of the Ireland squad he was part of in 07 before they took on the French to the mentality of the current squad before they take on France this weekend. It seemed to be a pretty straight question, but he had no interest in asking that and in answering that question. And they're just the, the pressure does seem to be, I would, not, I would never say getting to them because I think these guys are so professional and so detailed and precise in what they do that the pressure maybe doesn't get to them. But it's certainly more present and it's more obvious that it's there over the last few days. It is really like the World Cup has started this week because the previous three weeks, I, myself or Nathan, we never really got the sense that the walls were closing in yeah. until today in particular. Yeah, all right. Dave, great stuff. Thanks a million. Thanks, lad. Dave McIntyre with the Irish team and obviously we'll be there for the rest of the weekend. Just on the point about Easterby, there's kind of no benefit from him uh, reigning on the 2007 team and saying, yeah, well, we were obviously, you know, it doesn't, you, that's one of those questions where... I could understand that irritation. I could, because there's no comparisons. It's eight years ago, you know, it's, yes, you know, it's a part of Irish history that we're trying to put behind us. And yeah. we will only do that... And so by revisiting by getting us. Yeah, by, by getting to somewhere where we've never been before which yeah. is a semi-final and then only at that point I think can we possibly you know truly shelve yeah. the debacle of Bordeaux and so on that yeah. has gotten many many column <laughs> inches and many many hours of talk uh, the nightmares we've had because <laughs> if, if Easterby opens up that can of worms then that's the everybody's talking about that immediately afterwards so like while I totally understand Dave's frustration or the journalist's frustration it's like come on just give us something we're busy give us something so what I see from from, um, from Simon's point of view is that if he Gives that oxygen, and it's all it's re- reported in the papers. Players are reading that the next day. Yeah, they know no matter what. And as a player, you know, you'll say, "I don't read," you know, "I don't read the media or whatever." Some guys will say that. Some genuinely don't, but it's very hard not to. If you're even on social media, if you're, if someone, a family member tells you, "Oh, such such said this," all of a sudden it's in your head. You've got to read it. Yeah. So players are reading, and then when you're reading your coach talking about a comparison of 07 to you know to fifteen, going, why is he why is he saying that? Yeah. Why is he trying to make draw those comparisons? We're a world apart. Or Easterby slams Eddie O'Sullivan five days out from the. What are you doing? Exactly. So, so I, I can understand why he tried to deflect away from from basically not answering the question yeah, at all tricky enough uh, of course Dave was feeling the tension he's Irish and cares more about what happens in the Irish conference than at the French conference says uh, Brian in Dublin in fairness there was a bunch of people who were saying that the French were incredibly relaxed this morning um, and you know maybe that just means they don't care maybe that's a, <laughs> I don't is, know I don't know but that was, <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that the French way yeah. do you know what very interestingly and I was part of the draw nearly three years ago and uh, knowing that I wouldn't be part of this World Cup. And I remember being at it over in London and Declan Kidney was there with me and um, Thierry Doucetoir was the captain. And I remember walking out of the draw and Thierry Doucetoir was like a Cheshire cat. He literally thought all his Christmas had come at once when he realised that he'd drawn Italy, Ireland, 
um, Europe one and America two. I just thought this is a dream ticket. Yeah. And then you know, subsequent to that, we've had two draws against France and they've had two losses uh, to us. So, you know, the tide's turned slightly, but at the same time, they'll feel come World Cup time, that's when they turn up and Ireland aren't a soft touch, but, you know, they won't get a better route into an easy quarter final than this. Yeah. Um, and they've been talking a lot about why they're so confident uh, with all this. The fact that they trained together for so long. Um, as Dave was saying, he was at the French camp today and Scott Spedding was one of those guys who did give 40 minutes to the media. We're going to hear from him here. Here he is talking about whether or not he's seen a marked improvement in this France side since he came on board just last year. Yeah, I can I can really see. I, uh, I haven't been involved in the French side for a long time. I arrived in November and I arrived. We had we had five days to prepare for our first test together as a team. In and same for the Six Nations. We arrived. We had one week preparation and we had to start the Six Nations. It's quite difficult when you pull guys from all over from different clubs and, and try to get together to play in a, in a competition like that. Now for the World Cup, we've had three months to work together, get all on the same page or fitness-wise, and, and then just work on work together, just combinations, getting to know everyone. So I can see why why the French uh, are, are better in World Cups because it's definitely preparation plays a massive part in rugby these days. And with the with the top fourteen and the and the domestic league being so long and so little time for the for the national side to prepare for for tests, um, the World Cup is probably the best time for the French to show their best uh, the best side. He hasn't quite adopted the us when he's talking about the French just yet, <laughs> but it's coming. I'm sure, uh, it's a fair point. It, like I'd say they're quite relaxed because they're spending some time in each other's company and they're getting a level of collective fitness and it is quite different for them come Six Nations time obviously all centrally contracted we are given that seven week period together where we don't have to go off and play with our clubs they don't have that luxury so they're going off and playing for their Bayons and their Toulouse's and Toulon's and Saint Francais in the in between weeks so you know it is a little bit more disjointed for them a little, it is a little bit more difficult for them to pull that unity together and have you know I suppose build that bond that you do need you know for when it gets tough that yeah. you want to dig in for one another there is a huge aspect of that and and spending time together and the small things of you know living in one another's pockets and going out for coffee and all those things do do add to being able to be united and and you know, play that little bit better. Yeah, I mean, they've got a South African and a Fijian in their back three who obviously probably didn't know each other very well last November, but who've had the opportunity over the last couple of weeks to, to get to know each other. And it looks like we've both picked teams thinking of the team that each other has picked. They've um, they've picked uh, Julian Nakatasi and Spedding in their back three, and we've gone with Carney, Carney and Bo, which is the most Joe Schmidt selection that, it's a very judgment. Yeah, it is. It okay. is. I think it's interestingly interesting looking at Tommy. All the talk was before the squad was picked. Is there a possibility of Tommy Bow being left out? There was all sorts of rumours saying, you know, he's touch and go. And even Tommy himself, by all accounts, wasn't certain of of his place. So for him to go from there to now probably being first choice winger again is you know quite the jump. And I think it it. It, the, a huge aspect of that is comes down to his ability to 
be very good in the air and on kick chase. And that is definitely a weapon that Ireland has used in the past. Ireland was very effective against France and the Six Nations with it. They were good last week with it. So Dave Carney's another good guy. Everyone knows that Rob's good in the air. But likewise, you know, I don't know so much about Nakataki, um, but definitely Spedding and, and Dulan, even Dulan's a small guy, he's still good in the air. And, uh, and those two guys, Spedding and Dulan, are, are both very capable kickers of the ball not so much Nakataki but you give him a yard of space and he'll cut you to ribbons on a yeah. counter attack so you've got to kick smart to him This is going to be a kicking game this is going to be a, the ball in the air a lot it's going to be one on penalties and it's going to be one at the breakdown like- I think so I think so I don't I hope I hope both teams aren't afraid to play that you don't they don't tighten up Um because it's going to be a closed roof in Cardiff perfect conditions for running rugby Yeah Um but you just get the sense that it will be a little bit of an arm wrestle. Um, I think physically Ireland will be in a good place after the performance last week that they'll know that anything like that won't be sufficient. So they'll get there and, and hopefully as a result of physically you know, being in a, in, in a better position, they'll be able to think their way around the pitch a, bit be- a little bit better. Can you talk to us about that turnaround? Because um, the, the example that I'm clinging to here is that in... Joe's first November international series, we played Australia and they blew us apart. They cut the defence apart and they were brilliant. The next week we come out and put in one of the most physically imposing performances we've ever had and gave ourselves a realistic chance and should have beaten the All Blacks. Mm. They were chalk and cheese performances. And we kind of need something similar chalk and cheese this week. Yeah, yeah, listen, you know, I was hugely positive after the first couple of games and my confidence took a, a, a serious dent after last weekend because thought to myself it's a long way from last weekend's performance to winning to the winning the world cup but you don't have to win it in the group stages you've got to pick up four points and even when you're not going well you have to win and that's what they've done um knowing that and having pulled apart the video as as joe always does even in the really positive games he'll still find lots of flaws you know and work-ons so he would have had a plethora of of things to pick on and individuals to go away and, and, and work on throughout the week to make sure they get right. And he's a 50-50s um, sort of guy. He says, you know, on the 50-50s, he wants you to win, win more than your fair share. Yeah. And if everyone can do that, if the collective can do that, well, then, you know, obviously the whole is going to be in, in a much better place. So it's it's just, it's the small fractions at international rugby. We talk about it the whole time, but it is. It's 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 not actually necessarily a huge difference from last week about accuracy at the rook, about the clear out, identifying you know the guy before he gets in to, to poach a ball or just reading a, a play a split second beforehand. It's those margins that actually have a huge knock-on effect to subsequent scores. That sounds like speed of thought is actually as important almost as the physical stuff because it felt like we were getting physically bossed last week in a way that you don't really associate with this team. Joe has this thing called the mind gym where he doesn't physically like you, you know, doesn't physically want to put the guys through the paces too much in test match week because he wants his first 15 fit for Saturday. You know, England during the Phil Larder days used to, on a Thursday, have a 15-minute full-on session. I don't know how they managed to get guys out in the pitch. And, and sure enough, they lost some guys in those sessions. Whereas Joe has a big thing about mind gym, whereas thinking about the physical side of things and making sure that body height at Rook, even though you're not clearing out, if he sees somebody going into a, into a Rook with a high body height, he will rip them apart. So it's just all those small things, making sure that your head is switched in, even physically, you're not having to do it. 
mentally you're doing it so when the physical aspect is expected of you you're able to deliver yeah so last week what we saw isn't something terminal it's just that the attitude was a little bit off and the mind wasn't working properly we, and we came across a, a really you know a good um, gutsy is very patronising kind of remark a, a, a pretty strong Italian uh, defence and they, and of course they were going to have one big performance and they saved it for us um, well, we there. weren't good they were very good defensively so they kind of neutralised us um, you know we, we had opportunities it's not a case that we didn't create anything at all I just think you know we we didn't quite take the right option at times. You know, Sexto went through once or twice. The pass might have been given a fraction early. Yeah, pre-contact as opposed to post-contact, and th- those little things could have been five points here or five points there, and that that puts a completely different spin on the game. If you if you pull you know ten or fifteen points away from that Italian side, you know, it's over. It's 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 a different Italian team that you get for the last twenty or twenty-five minutes. Um, the Jared Payne injury, we've talked on the show about how important he is. You've said he's the glue that holds everything together. Now suddenly we're going into a situation where it definitely looks like one of their strengths is Fofana and Bastero. Um Fofana's brains and Bastero's bulk, it's probably a little bit of a cliche, but it's not far off being entirely true. Um, Henshaw and Earls isn't the most experienced partnership together. So this is a big concern. Yeah, it would be. It would be a concern, I think. Uh, for a number of reasons, I think obviously they are, have very little experience together. Um, I think, you know, as well as Earls, he has played in the World Cup so far. He's been a try machine for us. Um, I think he's been at his best on the wing. He, you know, he had an okay game last week. Not a fantastic game. Not a poor game. I think yeah. defensively he was okay. Um, but I think he is far superior on the wing. I think he's a little bit more time to make his reads defensively. And I think he, you know, the the explosiveness he has, uh, he's able to create a little bit more from the wing. Um, I, it was a concern. That was the one disappointment not seeing Payne in the team sheet. The only upside is that you know the conundrum that Joe then had was how do you leave Earlsy out of the team the way he's played? Yeah. Um, how do you pick three wingers or two wingers out of Earlsy and Dave Carney and and, and Tommy Bow? Um, and then you know you're even talking Zeebs has gone well. But yet, you know, isn't in the mix. So we we do have a wealth of riches, but it it in it kind of it alleviates a little bit of the the tough decision making for Joe. But at the same time, slightly to the detriment of Ireland, because I like we said before, and you mentioned that that Jared really is the glue between the halfbacks and the back three, and that's both in in defence and attack. Most yeah, mostly in D, um, giving security to his wingers. Um, Robbie had a huge tackle count against Italy. I think already had sixteen tackles or something right. against Italy. Uh, so he, he his workload is phenomenal, and um, and then Jared's ability to read is his real strength, but also his capability of of identifying where the space is and getting the ball there quickly. I think you know they're his real strengths and and stuff that people don't really identify a huge amount, but he's he's almost. A, a kind of a backs version of Jamie Heaslip where Jamie does so much tidying up and so much kind of unseen work that he doesn't get huge plaudits but I, 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 I've I watched him and he cleans up so so many messy situations and shuts off yeah. potential offloads where, where people 
don't really identify him doing any, doing doing anything. Yeah. Okay. So that's a big loss for us, and it's a, a big opportunity for France. I presume they automatically come and say, "Well, let's let's check out how Henshaw and Earls are going here as a partnership. Give the ball to Bastard on the first minute." We see for for Robbie now. There's a, there's a big onus on Robbie because he has to protect both guys. He's got to protect Johnny. Because you can't leave Bastro one on one. Dars talked about it. Um, I think in one of his articles a few, a few months, a few weeks ago, about how ba- Bastro's undefendable one on one. You have to, you have to double team. And even if you go low, he doesn't go so fast that you know he trips over you or he, go, he goes down. He's he's moving. But to get you know your arms around two of his legs is around is like yeah. getting around you know a large sequoia tree you know so it's a sequoia um, sequoia sequoia thank yeah. you so um, it's impossible so, so it, it is just impossible and then he gets offloads away and and that's his real strength you know guys running good lines off him so um, so Robbie's going to have to look after after Johnny first of all if you know Bastro's going to charge at him you know yeah. we saw that in 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 the Six Nations but also he's going to have to look after Earlsy when he has to make his one-on-ones with um, with Bastro he's going to have to kind of try and double team him as well Yeah so a tricky day for him How unlucky and disappointed is Henderson going to be he was our best player last week alongside O'Mahony Heaslip and O'Brien really need to step up says Mike and Kerry I think where where, where that comes is that Keane Healy's now starting so he was your impact from the bench as a ball carrier if you play uh, if you play Henderson, you play O'Brien, and you play uh, Kean Healy, you look at the impact coming off your bench. Devin Toner's not really an impact player. He's a guy that's going to win your lineout ball, win your kickoffs, win you know quality set piece. Um, but is he going to you know create something or give you great m- momentum and go forward for the last twenty minutes of game? Not really. I find I've, it's a very very tough call on Ian Henderson. I'd have him in my team because I think rather than getting 20 minutes of him, I'd prefer to get 80 minutes of him. Yeah. I mean, we did see last night the impact that um, Shane Long has coming off the bench against a mildly tiring German defence. That's the same line of thinking. It's like at that point of the game, it's going to be a different situation and his skill set will be more explosive. Yeah. And listen, he doesn't necessarily have to come off the bench and play in the row. You know, saw Pete O'Mahony just before he got Simbin last week, struggling a little bit with his shoulder. Pete never plays at at hundred uh, percent. You know, Pete's hundred yeah. percent is about eighty five percent. So, um, you know, if he's nursing a shoulder injury, that's the the great versatility of having Ian Henderson there is that he come in and do a great job at six as well. So, um, I wouldn't be surprised if 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 Joe's looking at Dev and and Paulie as eighty minute guys because they are eighty minute players. Yeah, and for um for for Hendy to come in and and kind of be the impact in the back row. And also the selection of Rickard Strauss suggests that there's going to be um an obsession with getting the set piece right over the whole game. Again, you're dropping a ball carrier and an, ex- an explosive player in Cronin and you're replacing him with uh, Strauss whose skill set is making sure that every line out goes to the, the right person as opposed to carrying yeah that one caught me I have to say I wasn't expecting that and I was wondering whether there was underlying you know fitness issues with Sean um, you haven't come from uh, from a from you mean a we squ- don't get full, squ- yeah, full disclosure set up, you know I'll, I'll, I'll tell the truth that you'd you know, in, the, in the media you do not always hear everything but you you can't. You have to understand from a player's perspective or a coach's perspective as well. You yeah. can't be outlining every last niggle in, in your players because they do get picked on. They do get identified. So if if Sean was carrying a niggle, and I I don't know if he was, 
Um, maybe he's looking at you know holding him off for next week. What you do get with Rickard Strice is exactly what you said. You get good darts. Um, yeah. You get good quality set piece, and you get a guy that is phenomenal at at stealing ball. So you know an, another uh, another jackler that's capable of turning ball over in the last kind of ten fifteen minutes. Of yeah, brief. and and maybe that's actually an impact that we don't recognise as much as we do. Somebody coming on and, and busting a tackle and, and making ten yards, but those that one penalty in the last five minutes is probably the difference between the two teams in this game. It can be and you know I think back to the 2007 World Cup Bismarck um, uh, Duplessis came on and and stole a ball and that was the difference that was the winning of the World Cup and that's that's the sort of impact you want from your subs so as well you have to remember when everyone else is tiring you know they're a little bit slower to the ball carrier and that might be the opportunity for someone to come in and, and, and pill for a ball and you know, in the right position, that could be three points and that could be the difference between winning and losing. We're going to take a quick break. We'll hear from Rob Carney. We're also going to talk with Shane Williams ahead of what promises to be one of the best games of the Rugby World Cup so far. If you have any questions for us, you can tweet us here at Off The Ball. Off The Ball, with thanks to Ford. Introducing the newest member of our team, the mighty new Ford C-Max. Ford, driving expectations even further. All right, 53106 is our text number. Brian O'Driscoll is in studio with us. We're talking rugby, funnily enough, ahead of uh, Ireland against France. Uh, Rob Carney was talking today with Dave. We'll have a listen to this and we'll talk about it when we come back. Have a listen. Rob, the glute, or whatever it was, has described as many different things over the last few weeks. It's 100%, you're good to go, and this is one of the biggest games of your career. Discuss. Yeah, feeling fit. Probably would have been ready to go last week, but they thought just, you know, better off... uh, not risking it, I wasn't really sure how it was going to be at the start of the week. So, 100% ready to go and looking forward to what's going to be a monster occasion. In that situation where you're, where you're watching the Italian game, thinking, you know, if it was World Cup final, I would play. You see how well Simon was playing. We sort of waking up Monday morning at the start of this week, thinking, I've got some real pr- pressure on my hands here, a real job on my hands to try and get into this team. Um, yeah, of course. You know, I think that's something I've been used to now my whole career with. You know, I've had Jordan there, Gervin, Issa back in Leinster, Felix, Zebes. You know, it's it's something that I've had my whole career, always looking over my shoulder um, at some unbelievably good competition. Zebes obviously played very well against uh, against Romania. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's something that, that I'm uh, always expecting, regardless of, of the week. Peter has just described this game as the biggest of his career. I mean, you've played Heighton Cup finals, you've played Grand Slam deciders. Where would it rank for you? Yeah, it's hard to to really know where it ranks. You know, it's obviously the biggest I've ever played at this moment in time. You know, next week could potentially be bigger again. But uh, you know, I think any time you play in a World Cup, the, the games get bigger and bigger every week. It's 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 huge. Joe's been trying to get this team to come to the boil to peak at just the right time, and it's obviously not an exact science. Are you confident that whatever? master plan he's put in place it is actually going to present itself on Sunday and all of the last three months will have just ticked along to the point where you are now in a position to win the game yeah hopefully you know I don't we underperformed last week you know that wasn't it wasn't part of the master plan to underperform last week and then try and kick it on another level this week so you know we're we don't really have a master plan you try and play as best as you do and as best as you can every week obviously this week because the stakes are higher and there's a huge amount more riding on it you know training has been good this week intensity has to come up fighting for places becomes much more of an issue than it did maybe for the first couple of weeks so you know when the stakes are higher everything else raises around it and you know hopefully that'll 
you know, be demonstrated in our performance. Yeah, hopefully. Um, could you ask Brian about the power plays being safe for France? Surely it can't just be a tap you can turn on at will. Yeah, it is. Is it? Yeah. All right. Um, there was some. There's 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 been some power plays done. Uh, there's some done against Italy as well. The one, the break where where um, where Sexto went through yeah. himself or first half. Yeah, and he had Jamie on his shoulder. And he decided to go himself. That was a power play. Okay. Um, so you know, it was, again, I think it was, I think it was probably three phases. Um, where I've seen, I've seen it before. I'm not speaking out of turn. Yeah, I've, you know, it's stuff that they have shown before. There's some stuff that I've seen, and I remember doing it at training. So you have to be careful not to commentate on anything that you haven't actually seen Ireland do in the last. 16 right. months that well, you haven't been part of it well we'll talk about this again in the future after we've used them against France <laughs> um, uh, Brian Dublin again wants to say one of the keys to defending Bastro is to close down the space quickly get to him before he gets any pace up our line speed against Italy was poor and would invite trouble against France now I heard uh, Dennis Hickey and Emmett Byrne talking about this and they were saying the line speed against Italy was actually not necessarily that it was poor but the, the, the plan was not to blitz the whole time and to get up I don't know yeah, I agree. I I think that's a good shout from from Brian. I think um, that two lads are talking nonsense. Is that the same? <laughs> Is that that a second and a burn? No, nothing. No, I I think that um, it, your line speed is essentially led from your third defender from the rook. So you have your rook, and then you have a pillar either side, yeah. and then your two defender, and then your three. And now there's a variation of what teams call those some call it pillar 1-2 10, 20, 30 it's a variety of different things but he's the guy that sets the speed so you're technically only meant to be as fast as him Okay. so ideally he's the guy set outside the 10 he's the guy that, that marks up 10 and so everyone then has one outside that now d- different defences and different individuals can def- you know defend in a multitude of different ways I was watching Australia against uh Wales last week and they clearly have a shooter policy as well where they can shut shut play down if they want to but the cardinal rule of, of, of shooter is you have to stop the ball if you don't you're dead and at times you can leave two and three people over but if you stop the ball the, 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 the move is defunct yeah. so I just think in general Ireland were a little bit passive they can, they can definitely take the first three or four steps off the line a lot more aggressively and then they can maybe you know, push out it's just it felt as though the, the, they, were, they were not overly enthusiastic about that initial burst off the line yeah. and it's funny what that does if you see you know, out of, you know your peripheral vision if you're the ball receiver at 10 and you just see a flash of people coming off the line immediately it, it sends a different signal to your body as to how much stress you're under and what sort of time you're going to have yeah. so it, you know it does have a major impact on the decision making of 10 and that's why players like Carter seem as though they have all the time in the world because they can process that information so much quicker than other guys yeah um, but it's a disease to the team really quickly if it's not right it can be I, I, there was a couple of instances and actually on set piece that was a bit of a concern for me where we were phenomenally passive the best place for a team to, to attack is probably off a scrum just outside your own 22 because you have to play um, two wingers deep and a full back so you've got you're really defending with um, 10, 12, 13 maybe with the help of your 7 and maybe the help of your 9 there's one instance where you're probably happy conceding somewhere between 5 and 10 metres 
but we conceded like 25 metres. Yeah. And that's just way too much. I think you have to you have to force their hand and show that you're a little bit aggressive and that, you know, if if they take it too far, there's a potential for an intercept, but at the same time, you know, make them second-guess themselves. And I don't think we did any of that. I think we let them take the control and they threw a simple mispass out uh, to um, Cambiaro, is it, in the centre, and then... You know, we made a tackle, but like you can't concede twenty-five meters from a scrum. Your, yeah. your your pack gets up from a scrum and has a look, and you're twenty-five meters down the pitch. They're not loving you for it. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on because the best game of the weekend might not be our game, which could be a lot of um, tennis being played between the back threes. But undoubtedly, the Wales Australia game promises to be one of the most interesting games of the tournament so far. For the winner, it's one of the best routes to a World Cup final that you could dream. For the losers. It's a very, very tricky path. We've got Wales legend Shane Williams on the line. Shane, a very good evening to you. Evening, guys. How confident are you feeling ahead of this game? <laughs> Not completely confident, if I'm honest. Um, oh, look, it's a massive game for Wales. Um, you know, they, they've changed selections a little bit. They've mixed and matched, and, and they've got a strong team. However, I think Australia have been playing the best rugby so far in the tournament. Got a great squad. The players like Falau and and of course, uh, Mr. Pocock in that team, and it's going to be a very tough one, but uh, a very interesting one as well. I think um, you know Australia made England look very average last week, and it's it, it's time for the for the showdown really. And like you just spoke about, the winner uh, has the easier route to the final. So there's a lot to play for. The argument about the England game and you know using them as a line of form, Brian. Is it possible that Wales brutalised England to the point where Australia are kind of coming along and going, well, this is easy now, you've done all the hard work for us, and that maybe we've slightly over, overvalued what Australia did, but slightly undervalued just how important Wales' progression and what they did was? Uh, listen, what, you know, Wales played in a game where for 60 minutes they were the second best team, but what they showed was their capability of staying in a game when it wasn't all going their way. And then I think what they have shown is this massive mental strength of hanging in there when all is not well. Yeah. And then they managed to to, to score their one, um, well, one of, one of a couple um, line breaks and all of a sudden they got themselves back in a game. And everyone was thinking with five minutes ago, how has this happened? But you know, Wales have actually made a habit of doing that in recent years is not really a, a huge shock. They they have this capability. They back themselves from a fitness point of view, um, you know, from a skill point of view, that if they're in the game with 10 or 15 minutes to go, that they'll be able to push push through. I don't know if, if Shane will remember it, but in the World Cup in, in 2011, when we played them in the quarterfinal, um, you were coming in at half time and you were all fairly exhausted. And I remember Gats coming in behind the team and him shouting at the team, telling them that they were fitter, stronger, faster than us. And um, sure enough, they were that day. <laughs> so it was hard to argue with them. But it just it just seemed as though they had this huge inner belief. And I don't know, Shane, maybe you will be able to come in and, 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 and tell us you know, that this particular team, do, do they have that huge inner belief now off the back of the English performance that they feel they can go on and win the group and, and, and put one over this Australian team? Yeah, I I do. I think so. I think I completely agree with you. I thought England, the majority of the match was a better team. Um, and what you have in the Welsh team now is, at the moment is uh, a lot of confidence. There's a lot of players that have played together a long time. And I remember in 2011 in that World Cup, from the start of the tournament, the young guys, the George North, the Sam Warburton, 
for coming up and telling me more experienced guys. When I say I mean the old farts like me, we're going to win this World Cup. We believe we can win this Cup World Cup. And these youngsters were so mentally strong. It was refreshing for the Welsh team. It was refreshing for me and the, and the older guys in the squad. Those players now are four years older. They're four years better. They're four years more experienced. And they've got the same mentality, if not more now. But from the start of the World Cup, despite the fact there were injuries, um, they had, you know, a bit of bad luck leading up to the, to the World Cup, Sam Overton, George North and these players were still saying, we're going to win this World Cup. We believe we, we, can, we can win it. And I'd never been in a, in a team with so much self-belief. And what, what you see now with Wales is that they just don't give up. You know, it, for the majority of the England game, like we said, they were the second best team physically being outplayed. However, they backed their fitness, they backed their ability to grind games out. And, and, and they went and won the game. And, and I think what it did to England, it almost mentally broke England as well because they were under so much pressure. And as you as you said earlier, Australia was, was the next game along, and uh, you know half the job was already done. They were morally destroyed, and uh, you know that's what Wales are going to need. You know, physically, they they they've got a lot of players missing. However, they've got this massive self belief, and I haven't seen that before. Just on on that point, obviously, you know, it's been well got documented about how many players are missing. I, th- I think the la- at last count, it's it's seven um, of the backs. Have, are missing seven first choice backs are missing. What do you make of um, of Gareth Anscombe's um, selection at fifteen? And, and you know, for those that don't know a huge amount about him, what sort of player is he? Well, yeah, it's 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 a mass it's a massive gamble. I think uh, Gareth Anscombe hasn't you know hasn't started for Wales. Um, he's been injured. He's been left out of the squad, then re, uh, then brought back into the squad. Um, but he is, he's, he's a footballer. He's a 10 at heart. You know, he's, he's got good vision. He gets the team into good positions. And that's perhaps why he's starting on the weekend uh, rather than a Matthew Morgan. You know, Matthew Morgan, for me, is a great little player. He, he played, he was um, uh, absolutely on fire against Fiji. However, you know, there's going to be aerial bombardment on the weekend. You've got the likes of Falau, who's over six foot, competing for everything. And Matthew Morgan, you know, the same size as me, really four foot three, I think he is. So um, it was always going to be always going to be tough there. So I think for that reason, they've gone with Anscombe. He's more of a footballer, um, and and certainly, you know, Wales are going to be under pressure at, at the fifteen there. There's going to be a lot of kicking, and perhaps he is the better footballer, and that's the reason he's playing. But there's a lot of pressure on Anscombe to perform because Warren Gatland's brought him over from, um, you know, from Waikato. Uh, he's a player that. He's been spoken about a lot. Perhaps we haven't seen that much of him in in the Pro 12. Uh, so it's a huge game for him. But he, you know, having heard him all week in in conferences or so on, he seems very confident and he's looking forward to the challenge. And he is re- he really needs a good game on the weekend. You've obviously worked with both these coaches, Brian. Um, looking at Australia, uh, it has all the hallmarks of a Czech team. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I think he 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 was in the best place that he could be from uh, and similar to where he picked up with Leinster we were in a bad we were in a bad place um close to rock bottom and he came in and he put a lot of structures in place and um i suppose drove confidence into us and that came through um some horrific pre-seasons and breaking us down before building us back up and he seems to have done the same in the Waratahs and he seems to have done the same in Australia now it's pretty impressive you know he's picked up um, the Australian team I think is less than a year and for him to have turned 
them into the side they and with the form they're showing at the moment is is no mean feat. Um, and you know if if he can go on and and get them to a potential semi final, well you know you'd be silly man to bet against them. They, for me, Australia have always been the smartest team. Um, in world rugby, irrespective of what personnel were there. They were always able to pull teams apart. And that's why this game is such a mouth-watering prospect because Wales are a real heads-up team as well. They play what they see in front of them as much as they have structure. They have talented footballers, very, very good passers, guys that like to offload. So on paper, this should be an absolutely riveting game as much as we think the game Ireland-France is going to be an arm wrestle. This is kind of the antithesis of it. Yeah, we, we get to be neutrals. You obviously won't be neutral at all um, Shane as as it comes up is there a, a specific thing that you think is going to tip this in Wales direction or is your, your fear that maybe those injuries are actually going to tell over the the last 10-15 minutes of this game when, particularly when the bench is empty yeah, well, yeah that's always a concern but I, I'm more concerned about Wales running out of backs as the tournament goes on I, I hope it doesn't come to that against Australia there's still a long way to go in this tournament and you know Wales have already lost a complete backline nearly. So uh, I, I'd rather think about that later on, really. But um, no, they, they, this game is going to be one at the breakdown. I think that's the reason Warren Gatlin has, has gone for uh, Tipperick and Warburton. I think it's it's very fitting that uh, the Hooper is missing, and and for me it's you know it's Pocock versus um, Tipperick and Warburton in that area. It was key at, for the England game. Uh, you know, the likes of Pocock was just on top of every ruck that he could get involved in, turned over. When he didn't turn the ball over, he slowed it or he made it difficult for uh, for Youngs at scrum half. And it really, you know, um, stuttered the way that, that England performed. If he can do that against Wales, you know, and Wales aren't on the front foot, they're a completely different team. But when, when Wales can get Jamie Roberts and the likes of George North involved in the game early on, get over that game line, you know, they they can be dangerous. But I think if, if Australia nullify the breakdown and Pocock has another stormer, then it's going to be a different story for Wales. And uh, I'm quite excited to see George North at 13. Um, massive responsibility for him. Um, I think, you know, with the likes of Gitto and Foley, two tens playing a 10 and 12, they're going to try playing around the 13 channel. And I think uh, George, George North is going to be in a lot of pressure there. So it'd be interesting to see how he copes with uh, the width that Australia play. But I do, you know, I, I think it's going to be a good game. Both teams enjoy playing open, expansive rugby. Yeah. And they've both got some exciting talent in that backline. Shane, great to have you with us. Thanks a million and best of luck. Cheers, guys. Shane Williams giving us his thoughts there. Um, who do you think is going to win that? I think Australia are just going to have too much. Um, I think that final point that he, he mentioned about Giddo and Foley and, you know, Georgia North hasn't played a lot of 13. Yeah. And just the way Wales defend, they, they number up. So, you know, 10 on 1, 12 on 2, 13 on 3. I just think the cleverness of how Giddo will be able to exploit that in yeah. particular those, might be a bit much for them. Those passes where they pass it backwards and you think, oh, this is interesting, what's going to happen here? And I think, oh, he just made 70 yards. from Yeah, like, yeah. but even the fact, you know, it wasn't an, an over overly elaborate um, move that led to the Johnny May try that England scored against Wales. Yeah where they all got pulled in by decoy runners and they went out the back door a couple of times. Yeah. And actually, who who was it? Uh, it was Watson nearly butchered it um, by throwing it to the feet of Brown. But anyway, they scored the next phase. But like that wasn't 
overly intricate and yet they were able to pull them into the way they wanted them to defend. Yeah. And I, I think Australia are so capable of doing that. I've got to take one more quick break. We'll be back with some text right after these. Off the ball with thanks to Ford. Introducing the newest member of our team, the mighty new Ford C-Max. Ford, driving expectations even further. Here's a good uh, double-headed question from Donald. What did Brian make of the French comments about Sexton this week? And also, did he ever play mind games with the opposition in his pre-match press conferences? <laughs> Tomato, tomatoes and fruit comes to mind. Um, I found the um, the Johnny Ibrahimovic stuff uh, or whatever Zlatan Sexton yeah. stuff hilarious. Um, they're just you know I suppose they're trying to wind them up. You know Johnny's temperament is well documented and and I've, I you know again I'm not speaking out of turn. He has the capability of going off on one, um, and so. When, you know, things can be lost in translation as well when you're speaking another language, or you've just you've just you're just learning to know someone. Yeah. So he probably gets away with it a little bit more in Ezra in Ireland because of his huge respect. It might have been a bit more difficult to impart that understanding as to how he was trying to vent himself over in France. Yeah, they were explaining that there was a lot of translation going on from was it Labitte in mm. yeah, um, and his. Former wrestling teammates who are in this French squad are like, yeah, of course we're gonna. T- I'm, I'm coming for him all day long. Mm. That's good stuff that they're saying this, right? Yeah, he's fiery, you know. That's what that's what what drives Johnny Sexton along, and and you know sometimes getting into those rows with people is what inspires him. You know, he gets fired up occasionally. Fired up at halftime. You know, Northampton Hanging yeah. Cup final scored twenty eight points. So you know. It- a Johnny Sexton fired up is not always a bad thing. Yeah, um, and a fired up Australia who were called dumb by Clive Woodward, who none of them would get in the team by Cipriani. And there was somebody else who said something kind of stupid in the build-up to that game. That was not the wisest build-up to an England-Australia game I'd ever seen. There's just some of the craziest comments I've ever heard. Like I said before, Australia are always, always <laughs> the smartest team. And if you, if you have no one else other than Matt Gitto in your team, you've a, a, a lot of rugby intellect. Yeah. So, you know, to say that... Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure the whole paper cutting up on the paper, up on the walls happens anymore. But I'm sure they read it. And it was in the press conference. Um, they were Cheka telling Cheka that oh, England are going to target your scrum because it's rubbish. Mm-hmm. And he was like stony faced, going, "Yeah, okay, well, whatever. You, you you say what you're saying. Words are words. There you go. And then they they ate them alive. This one from Kean. Can you ask Brian which centre partnership he's been most impressed by so far in the tournament? I know it was the USA, but De Allende and Creel. Looked awesome for the South Africans, both so young too. Somebody else earlier on had texted in, I just want to put it out there, South Africa are going to win this tournament. And I unfortunately think, I'm kind of scared by that prospect, but it might be. I don't think they are. No? No. Someone's going to beat them? Yeah. Great. Uh, <laughs> uh, Centre partnership. Um, I don't know. I, I like Delande and, and Creel, yeah. they. Um, I just, I like, I like players that have a little bit more variety to their game they 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 can carry of that there's no doubt I just don't know if they have this you know the subtle touches to their game the likes of Conrad Smith has um with Mananu or or Sonny Bill so yeah I still I still like them because both of them can you know um Ma can still throw a 20 meter pass you know yeah. running full tilt not many guys can do that at 12 yeah that was through gritted teeth there about the all blacks being great 
Yeah, they are. And you know what? Again, I, I was never able to say about Conrad Smith being an awesome player because I had to play against him for years, but he's pretty good. Reluctantly, he's pretty <laughs> decent. <laughs> on that note, we'll, we'll, we'll wangle some more All Black Love out of you on uh, Wednesday night. Brian, thanks very much. Cheers. I promise we won't. No, no questions about the All Blacks at all. Right, 5316 is the text number. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us here out off the ball. We've got Ray Houghton on Ireland last night. What an unbelievable game that was. We're going to bring you our uh, best of, which is actually mostly Gordon Darcy this week. And we'll also bring you our Friday night quiz. All of that up after the news. Off the ball with thanks to Ford. Introducing the newest member of our team, the mighty new Ford C-Max. Ford, driving expectations even further. Off the ball. Getting inside the game. Sponsored by Ireland's favourite car brand, Ford. Go further.